Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Today's Bible reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, 1 to 14. At the end, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and you should respond by saying thanks be to God. Colossians 3, 1 to 14. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Good morning, everyone. Yeah, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, this is the, I don't know if you heard um, Francis correctly, this is the second phase of our R&B series, Rooted and Built Up in Christ. In the first phase, what we emphasized was um, our relationship with Christ, that we needed to be rooted and built up in Him. And we concluded that part in the last sermon um, where we learned that there are perversions of this relationship, there are some deep and empty forms of this relationship with Christ. You know, Pastor emphasized several, he told us about privacy gospel, the each year's gospel, you know, all kinds of gospel, and that we should be aware of those. So, but in this second phase, where we would um, be learning from chapters 3 and 4, would emphasize how this relationship with Christ shapes our relationship 
at work, with our kids, like parenting, marriage, non-Christian. Um, relationship with, you know, in church, you know, our church community relationship. So I wanted to um, um, hear this first. Pilgrims used to walk this way in medieval times, often for months, and occasionally years at a time. So this way um, is actually about 800 kilometers long. Um, then in medieval times, between the 5th and the 15th century, they do like months, some people do it for years. But today you can actually do this route like in a month. It's called the Way of St. James, and it is the most popular route to Santiago de Compostela, where, according to medieval legend, the remains of the Apostle James were buried. So this place is so structured now. There are hospitals and there are hostels all along this route, like making sure people can do this walk. Um, since the ninth century, hundreds of thousands of Christian pilgrims and many others from their homes or from different popular starting points across Europe have taken this pilgrimage, you know, by foot, by bicycle, or some people like to do it the old school style, like they go by, they go on horseback or by donkey. Um, in 2017, over 300,000 pilgrims walked this route, the way of St. James. In fact, at some point, almost to the end of the, of the pilgrimage, there is a cathedral, you know, built there exactly where St. James was, um, was said to have been buried. It's a cathedral built there, and cathedral, called Cathedral Santiago de Compostela. And so when you, if you finish the walk, like if you really, if you started from the beginning and go to the end, um, and you're a Christian pilgrim, you know, some people go there, you get this Compostela, it's a certificate, and it's a Catholic church. So you get a certificate, that grants you penance for, as, for, your, for temporary punishment of your sins. So your sins have been like, you try, you did this walk, so you get like a pass for washing of your sins. But if you don't start from the beginning, if you just join, so you know some people to do marathon in Lagos. Well, I did marathon in Lagos marathon. They just join the bus. <laughs> and then they will now drop somewhere before the end. They will now walk to the end. It's not that no, you won't get any, any Compostela. Then, this is the funny one. So after the cathedral, this one about Fusme, there is a place called Cape Finester, or Finestera. It's referred to as the end of the world. So in those days, I don't know if it's still done now, um, people will finish the race or get to the cathedral, get a compostella, then they'll now go to this place. There's a beach there. They'll, uh, they'll bath in the beach. Um, it symbolizes for them the purification of their body. At some point, after they finish bathing, you know, they'll now change their clothes. You know, now um, burn those clothes with fire and wear new ones. So that burning of clothes means that you do away with all the things in your past life. You're going to a new life. And as some people will still chill throughout the night, like wait to night, they wait for the sun to set. So when the sun sets, that sun sets means death. You know, you see the sun at the sea. I don't know if you ever felt that way. You see the sun at the sea, it symbolizes death. And as some people, that's not enough, but they're not chill till the next day. That next day symbolizes resurrection. So new life, afresh. And then you just behold this old beautiful scenery, you know. And then you feel like one with nature, so beautiful. This, um, this analogy is, is we can at best can be described as a, this, this, this old pilgrimage, at best can be described as a, some kind of perversion of 
what God has called us as Christians to, as a family and individually in our work with him. And I'm going to like painting it through um, this book of Colossians chapter 3 today. So let's go. <clears throat> our non-Christian lives, um, for many of us, our non-Christian lives and our non-Christian living isolate us from Christian community. That is the case for some. For some of us, it is that Christian community does not help us to live our Christian lives. And for some people, it is both. Like, the way you live is not Christian, is not really as Christian as you want, and so you are isolated from community. But again, even when you find a community, the community does not help you to live the Christian life that you want. So we embark on a personal pilgrimage, right? We go on a lonely quest to find and express ourselves. You know, every day we try to start anew, you know, by trying all kinds of stuff, by focusing on different things, by doing all kinds of methods. But Paul will show us here, Paul from 3 to 4, try to show us that, see, actually in 3, that there are some deep things in your heart that will stop you. And that you've been created, you actually need, you've been created to be an interdependent being. If you look at the text that we read, verse 1 and 2, you see verse 8 and 9, 11, 12, and 13, you see references to this communal nature of this work, of this life that we've been called to as Christians, and if you're going to live this life that you want to. So what we actually need is a new family, not a new pilgrimage. We need a new family. So today we'll consider the ends for which this family exists. We'll consider the means for this new family and the source of this new family. The end. In verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Raised. Does that mean we've been resurrected? Do, do, we, do we look like people who have new bodies? Do we, um, have we died and risen? No, we've not. If you look at verse 10, this is what it really means. They say, you have put on the new self. Paul here refers to our new being, our new identity in Christ. What we are now in Christ. The one who has put his faith in Christ is new. He, is, he has died to his former life, to his way of living. He has died to the way he used to live. In the somewhere here, in verse 7, Paul says, You used to walk. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you are new. The new life. A Christian is not an updated version. A Christian is not a new model. A Christian is not a refurbished brand. A Christian is not a pimped ride. A Christian is not a measure. A Christian is not an acquisition. A Christian is not an Oando turn ayo. A Christian is a new being, a totally new. You've never seen your kind. A Christian is a new product, a different kind, a, a, a new species if you like, in some sense. And why does Paul say this? Paul says that in verse 3, for you died. He's saying that life that you once had, you once lived in. It was a time, once upon a time, it's a story. You once lived in a life, that life is dead. You are dead in your sins. Now you are raised. You know, we had a baptism some weeks back, baptism um, on Easter Sunday. And what does baptism symbolize? Why do you think, what is one of the reasons why we do this? In Romans 6, 3, it says that, do you not know that those who have been baptized have been baptized into his death? We do baptism to, in one way to symbolize 
that our old lives are gone and now when we were pulled out of the water, we have start new lives. So a Christian is not one who, who knows a lot of scripture or someone who has attended um, Sunday school all his life or someone who is part of the music team and can sing all the gospel songs. A Christian is not someone who say, I like Jesus. I love his teachings. I understand. I apply it to my life. No, a Christian is a person who has died by putting his faith in Christ to his old life and has started afresh. It is new. There is no in-between. There is no mix-up. There is no concussion. You can't have it any other way. But it's not enough. Paul says in verse 3 that your life is now eating. In verse 3, your life is now eating with Christ. Because you might think, mm, if I'm that new, most part of my life does not really look different from my non-Christian friend or worker or colleague or neighbor's life. Like, we look the same, we go in the same traffic, we experience the same situations in life, we go through the same struggles. Like, this is the life we have, the same temptations. No, Paul says, see, your life is now eating. Is eating now. Like your true life, the real life, what has changed in you, the inner man has renewed. That's that thing that is real you, that your body encapsulates. He said, is eating in Christ. Though you remain in this body, this struggling, suffering, sinful body, like every other person's body, your real life is eating in Christ above. It's different. It is not a progression from Homo sapiens to Homo erectus or Neanderthal. It's not all of that. It is different. It is totally new. It is like the serpent, you know, if you kill a snake, you know, the snake, um, you cut the snake's head. And the snake can still move. It can still arm you or hurt you. But the snake is dead. We are dead in our old ways of life. We started afresh. But Paul does not end there. Paul says again, that but you will appear in verse 4. But you will appear in glory when Christ appears. John the Apostle says in 1 John 3 verse 2 that when he appears, we don't know what we'll be like, but one thing we know, that we'll be like him. One thing for sure is that we will put off these bodies that make us struggle in this world, this world that is on its way out, this world that is decaying, that is rotting. We will be raised from our eventual physical death. This is the glory. We will be raised from our eventual physical death to be the renewed people in a new heaven and new earth. One philosopher said, he said, to, he said we're perfect. The philosopher asked, he said, to, to seek for perfection in man is to seek for the need of his new species. Paul said, yes, you are right. He says, we will be perfect people living in a perfect world. That is the glory. That is the end for which the Christian is made for. That is the end for which the Christian community exists. Every longing, every desire will be satisfied in that world. It's going to be a perfect world. You cannot imagine it. There is no analogy or illustration in this world that fits, that matches the life. Because no one has seen it. No one, no one can grasp it. You see, all of... Um, we have longings and desires in this life, longing to see disease eliminated, longing to, to be free, to not be chained or bound by struggles in our life and struggles in our world. 
both of sin and both of suffering. It's like what I saw when I went to Senegal a couple of days ago um, in, in, in a reserve. And there were these hyenas that were camped around. You know, if you've ever been to a zoo, sometimes you've been to a zoo, have you not felt like the, the lions feel, man, why, why we, like, you, there's a few fence all around. You know, they are relentlessly walking up and down before the bars of their cage. I feel like, man, I was never meant to be confined to this cage. This is not my place. Like, free me. Why should you just be feeding me with these ants and chickens? Like, I want to go out into the wild. Paul um, speaks to that desire longing in us. That see, in this world, we groan, we cry, we struggle because we are confined. This is not what we are supposed to fully be. We are not yet what we are fully, fully, fully are, what we are going to be. So we feel confined like hyenas in a cage. We feel confined like lions in a zoo. We feel confined like a ram tethered to a pole, not ready to be slain. This is not, this space is not enough. I want to move. You see, that is what it feels like to be in this world. But it is a glory that will be revealed when Christ appears. This is the end for which Christian was made. This is the end for Christian community. So you feel down by family expectations, by your mom who's in stage four cancer, by the sex that has not satisfied you, by money which you sought, you, you, you pursued and pursued that has not satisfied you, by positions, all of these things. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, a wise writer, a thinker, um, who, who read lots of non-Christian philosophies, the best of them, you know, novels, literature, and all, very wise and smart man. He said this, he said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most interesting person you talk to will one day be a creature. That if you saw it now, you will be tempted to worship. C.S. Lewis says, see, if God can show you a picture of where he's taking you, of the end for which you exist, the end for which you exist as a Christian, if he can show you the end for which this Christian community exists, he says, if I show you what Nanka is going to be, you'll be tempted to worship her. You'll be tempted to worship yourself. For you have never, C.S. Lewis continues, for you have never met a true Christian who is a mere mortal. Never. There is no true Christian you've ever met or spoken with that is a mere mortal. None. They possess the seed of this everlasting splendor in them. So far they put their faith in Christ. How much more we as a community of this this immortals, of these everlasting everlasting mortals full of splendor and glory that is to come. And so Paul says, when you begin to see this, when you begin to just wrestle with it, no matter how strange or how difficult it is for you, when you begin to grasp this idea, this vision, this end for which you exist, he said, this is what you should do. Before you drop it off, before you move away, before you stop, he says, see, seek the things that are above. He says, set your minds here. Stay here. Camp there. Live there. Let it be where you reside. Let it be where your acts, your mind reside. Don't ever allow anything else be more important in your mind or in your heart to you. That's what it means. They set your mind above. Set your heart above in verse 1. Set your mind above in verse 2. It means to seek this thing. It means to pursue, to allow this vision to drive you, to allow this vision to pursue you. It is to allow it to pursue you in the same way that a Niger bed player, you know, 
thinks so much of his games. He's watching the matches, watching all the matches. He knows the names of the clubs in the most hidden leagues in the world. Nigerians are everywhere, but these guys know names of clubs where Nigerians are not. It drives him. He watches everything. He wants to know. He understands. It moves him. He said, can you let this vision of what you are called to be drive you and pull you? Why do you settle for something less? You see, not on earthly things. Not on, his ambition is good. You want to be great in your career. You want to be a good sportsman. You want to be a wonderful writer. You want to look very beautiful and grand. Yes. You like literature. You love history. You read the most interesting books. You say, yes. You say, but do not let these things be what you set your mind on. Can't you see what I'm promising you? Can't you see what is in store for you? They are good, but they are not primary. I wrote an article, like in 2017 or so, for TT Church blog, and the article was centered around how we should, how we should be heavenly minded, yet earthly relevant. But I think today that the greatest fear or risk for the Christians, the greatest risk for the Christian community across the world, is not the risk of being. Heavenly minded and earthly relevant. No, it's a risk of being earthly minded and heavenly irrelevant. That is our greatest risk now. Gone are the days where it's, oh, heaven, heaven. No, no, this day is earth, earth, earth. That is a problem. The second thing this means is that for you to think out the implications for all of life. Think like a race, like a new person. You see, the same way a person who is leaving for Canada, we have a family who is leaving for Canada in a few days, that affected their decisions weeks back, months ago. It shaped everything. If you spend some time with the husband or the wife or with the kids, you would know. You ask, why are you making this decision? Why are you doing this? Why are you not buying this? Why are you having a yard stay? Why are you not buying this? Why are you guys not moving board? Why are you chilling with your Why do you resign from work? Oh, we're leaving for Canada. It shaped their life. Think out the implications of this for all of your life. And that leads me to the second point. The means. The means of this new, um, new family. It has to be an active, act, active anticipation in the present. An active anticipation in the present. In verse 5, you see what it says. It says, put to death. Like, how should these people live? So now, yes, we see the vision. But how, does, how do we really live practically here today? Now that we're here, in, we are still in this sinful and suffering world. So how do we live? Verse 5. Is it put to death? Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It went on to verse 8. Is it but now? You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. See, this is, this is our lifestyle. You put to death these things. What it means is, see, for you died in verse 3, now put to death. What Paul is saying is that become what you already are. You were dead to that life. You no longer live that life. Now, live as someone who is raised. Live as someone who is new. For you died. Now put to death. Kill these things before they kill you. You see, there are a lot here, but I just want to categorize them quickly. I'll talk about greed, and I'll talk about sexual immorality as a bracket. Greed. 
You see, greed is one sin, is one of the seven deadly sins which most people would never admit to. You hardly find someone who openly and readily admits that he's greedy. Everybody is relativistic when it comes to materialism. You say, oh, uh, why you have to so and so? Uh, that person is me, I'm meeting all those people that, hey. <laughs> you see, even the poor, you see, the poor is not exempt from greed. You see, if what drives the poor is not the poor in Christ, if what drives the poor in Christ is not who, what drives him the most, is not his hope in the life that is to come, but that how he can become rich is also as greedy as the rich. He's not, he's not less greedy, he's as greedy as a rich person who has a lot and is still getting money because they are driven by the same things. They are setting their minds on the same things. You get this lucrative job after praying a lot. Attended all the prayer meetings. Fasted. Daniel plan, Moses plan, all the plans. And then this job came. Hey, sister, sister Daniela. Um, <laughs> we, we did not see you in job. It's work, oh, it's work, oh. It's the work that the Lord provided for me that's taking me away. Oh, but well, why are you doing this? You're away from your family. You don't talk to your child. You do not do homework for many weeks. Your wife did not talk to her in months, blah, 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 and all. Why do you do this? You say, I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing this for the family. Eventually, you are exposed that you've been involved in one financial scandal in office. And then this exposure comes to ruin the very family you've been working all your life to provide for. There are exceptions. There are people whose life are, who are called to some work that takes them home. But he's saying, see, check. What are you setting your minds on? That is most important thing. Not to be picky. What do you set your minds on? What is your heart set on? Are you sure it's following Christ that moves you? Or is the work? Or is the, or is culture? It's the sexual immorality. We cannot overemphasize the rise of pornography, the use of sex toys, masturbation, situationships, premarital and extramarital sex in our age. You know, this, this set of sins are greatly affected and are doing so much damage to community, both in church and outside church in general. People want fulfilling, self-maximizing, pleasurable experience. You see, they want it. They want it. They don't actually want, the guy doesn't actually want the lady, doesn't actually want the lady. The lady doesn't actually want the guy. He wants the pleasure that he can get from the guy. She or he is just a, just a means to that end. You see, this has destroyed relations and community. Or oh, people just want to, you want to taste something without swallowing, no commitment for the other. Is it? And we should be more empathetic with this because we have grown up young people and people a little older and people younger than myself. We've all grown up in an age where it's, it's in the movies that we watch, it's in the songs that we listen to. It is not talked about enough in church. You know, everyone is prudish about it. Everyone is quiet and, you know, about it. They just tell you. You see, um, true love waits. True love waits. Sorry, true love waits. See, if you really, you will see. You will see. When you meet the person, you will know the person you want to have sex with. You meet them. Just wait. That's true love is thing. They will even tell you that see, if you have it, if you have sex before marriage, 
It's not actually sweet. Oh. See, marriage, the marriage bed. When Proverbs tells us that stolen waters are sweet, when a friend of mine in this church has said that sin outside marriage is actually spicy, as a church, as a community, the onus is on us to do better, to see the havoc of the marginalization that has happened in relationships where some are more powerful, some are more attractive, those more attractive and those more powerful, those where they are take advantage of those who are less attractive, those who are less powerful. It's doing havoc to communities. You see, when you, when you pledge to be faithful to a partner in marriage, or when you pledge to remain chast as a single, you're not doing it for yourself alone. You are pledging fidelity to a larger community. You are saying that, you see, true love is not waiting for marriage per se. True love, the kind of love that we speak of here because of the vision that we emphasize, is waiting for Christ, is following Christ. This is the life that you're going to become that pushes you, that drives you, that propels you. I'm getting married in a few in a few days. And I know every time people will do this thing. <laughs> every time, you see, and I know that I'm convinced because of the relation, because of people that have spoken to married and young and people that are giving feedback and advice, you know, here and there. You know, some people have told me, oh, you see, marriage is, is sweet. You have heard that marriage is sweet, like Ted told me. You've heard like marriage is sweet. He said, but it's sweeter. I said, I confirm. You know, say, you've heard that marriage is hard. He said, but it's harder than what you think. <laughs> I said, ah. So I know that the reward, my reward for getting married is not, it is never the wedding night of May 24. That is not my reward. It is how God will use this union to make me become more and more and more like him, like the real me that he has promised to become. And that is not secluded, that is not limited alone to the marriage relationship. So church should be a community where diverse singles, where old singles, where married couples can come together and share their struggle. And say, see, you single, you are not the only one who is letting down something. You're not just sacrificing this weight. Wait, no. You see, wait till you marry. Do you know what we sacrifice for our kids? Do you know the dreams that I have that I'm not able to pursue because I'm married and I have children? The greedy person, the person who, who, who's lost his job because he didn't want to follow through a financial scandal. Of he's saying, I lost my job because I want to be faithful to Christ. You're not the only one who is sacrificing stuff. This is the kind of coming. This is what we call the new family, where everybody's coming and saying, see, we have unfulfilled relationships, but in Christ is going to be fulfilled. You are suffering, but you are not suffering alone. You are waiting, but you are not waiting alone. Because when people flee from fornication and flee from all appearances of evil, when they flee from it, where do they flee to? There has to be a family. We have to be say, I'm a daughter of this church. I'm a son of this church. I'm an uncle in this church. I'm an aunt in this church. Anger. You see, anger here is not 
Um, is it their explosive anger? Yes, this kind of person that the talks loudly, loud, boss, everybody's careful around it. People don't even, this is so explosive. And so this has damaged community in the sense that people just have eggshells around and nobody wants to go near them. Injuring the person's growth and injuring also our own ability to grow in patience and to grow in other fruits, affecting community. But there are also who have this undercurrent kind of anger. It's not, it's not loud, but the way they talk, they have caught in humor. Savage, they're always savage. They talk like social media. They, their faces are like memes. They have harsh speech. They are none of them. They are, they're, never, they're never diplomatic in conversations. This kind of anger, we should watch out for it in our community. Or, you see, anger is also experiencing when you defend something, not just, not just something that you love, but something you overlove, anger. You are so proud of your dignity in public. How people look at you or respect you and carry you. And then your child comes running to you and then maybe pours food on your leg or your child just misbehaves in public. You just scream at the child and say all kinds of unspeakable words because you overlove your appearance or how you look, how people look up to you. Anger. Very, anger is very, very corny. Or, you know, the kind of one that shows itself in arguments where, you know, most people, many people, especially young people like us today, we, we want to prove ourselves to be right in arguments. <coughs> And so when we, when we say anything in response, we're always saying it with an intention to inflict pain and to make the person look foolish. You, what do you know? Do you, you, when they bore you, you, I've been watching Premier League since they give birth to you. You went to start watching, but it's not because of DSTV. <laughs> or gluten, the deadliest. Gluten is like, and this is the one I've had to repent of in past months and weeks. Gluten is chilling. It's a chilling kind of anger. Creative, destructive in its form. It is like this. You disagree with someone, the person doesn't agree with your view, and you know you are right, and the person is wrong. Okay. Have your way. Have your way. And then the person goes ahead and stumbles and falls. And he does smile. <laughs> I said it. Or you don't smile and you're not angry, but you don't do anything. That is not a new family. That is not the community God has called us to. He said, love your enemy. He says, you repay evil with good. A strange community. This is a community that's, we, 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 that does not exist. This is not the world that we live in. Your word should be to build people up. Gentle answers that turn away. Your words, you, the way you live is to preempt anger. Ah, if I say this, this person will be angry. Or lying. Oh, that political life, funny kind of lies. You come to somebody and say to the person, um, you, Sha, I just like you. Ah, ah. There's nobody you cannot talk to, Sha. You're very bold. When you, what you should tell the person is that your mouth is too sharp. You're a, you, have, you have coarse lips. <laughs> you see, when we continue in this form, sexual immorality, this greediness, um, lies, and all of this form, you know what we're saying? We are saying that, see, that word that is to come, that glory that I'm promised of, I do not believe in it. This is how I want the world to remain. I want the world to remain as angry as it is. I want the world to remain as immoral as it is. I want the world to remain as decaying, as spoiled, as, as degrading as it is. This is how I want it to remain. That is what we're saying. But the wrath of God is coming. Because of these things. 
those who live like this, who have not put their faith in Christ, the wrath of God is coming. He said, because of these things. God's mercy is gracious towards them. But he said, because of these things, God's wrath is coming. And that is why I pause. And now I see as Lewis continues to say that, see, those who live like this, in a sense, they are also immortal, but they are immortal horrors. They are nightmares. As they continue anger and continue sexual immorality, they are becoming less and less human, less and less human. Homosexuality, bisexuality, sodomy, anger, all of this is making you less and less human because you are not advancing towards the kind of human God is hoping to make you. You are becoming less and less human. We are everlasting splendors. We are a new family. We cannot live like this. You see, in verse 8 and 10, it talks about put off and put on. You see, quickly, I want to say this. You see, people will say, if you want to change, if you want to live as a new person, if you want to live as a Christian, as a real community, you see, just put your faith in Christ. Once you put your faith in Christ, it will just come naturally. Just put your faith in Christ. It will come like patience, gentleness, love, everything will just come. It's just put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. That's one part. Some people will say, hey, you put your faith in Christ. That's good, very good. But you see these rules, your commandments here, you'll be ticking them. It is be ticking them as you have this is rules abiding, authenticity are pitched against each other. But Paul says that it is neither. Paul says that it is one of habit forming. This is what put off and put on looks, looks like. It's a put off. What Paul means is that, you see, you intentionally and decisively choose to denounce these ways until it becomes second nature. He's saying that on most days, when you start out in this process, it will never feel natural. It will not. You will, not feel, you will feel like having sex. You will feel like going on a pornography website. You will feel like it. And that does not have anything to do with your new life. You are a new creature. But as long as in this world, there will be days when you feel strongly. And it is natural. Is it what you should do? You should do intentionally and decisively. And not say, oh, I give up. The feelings are not coming. Say, no, you put it off. You keep putting it off. You keep putting it off until it becomes second nature. Until you begin to do it consciously. The same thing. You see, it's like I, this example of, you know how when we were younger, most of you that grew up in Christian homes, where you grew up in homes where they do daily devotion, and then they read Bible, and after Bible, you start praise and worship. You know how we know all the songs? Like, without rehearsing, there's no rehearsal, there's no practice, nothing, nothing. Anybody, anybody can lead it. Oh, yeah, just come in junior home. Junior, oh, yeah, lead it. And then, I just start singing. Good morning, Jesus. And I remember, I sang like two songs, I can doze off. Somebody else will pick it. If someone pick it, by the time I come, the song that we drop, we match, it's continue. There's no, there's no missing anything. We'll sing like 30 songs like that. Does it make it meaningless? No. He's saying, what makes acts and this intentional, decisive thing meaningless is if you lose sight of the end to which you are going. That's what makes it meaningless. The quest for spontaneity at all costs is not... A totally Christian thing. When you want to learn a new language, it's, it's best, this is the thing, it is best, it is easiest to learn this language to where you want to, because it's, it's habit, you have to use it. If you don't use it, you're not going to learn it. You know, people 
who lived in a country for many years and who learned a particular language, but then they return to where they came from and they lose the language because they, they're not using it. So it's like learning a new language. You have to use You have to make mistakes. You have to stumble. You fail. You, but you stand up again. You say this word. You say that word. You keep again. But you know what's best? The easiest way to even learn it is to learn it in a place where the people are also speaking it. This is the ideal of the new family. We are supposed to help one another in a way learn this new language of the new family. We are speaking to one another. No, I will not speak to you. Know, I mean, no, no, you must reply me back in French. Oh. You, uh, you reply me back in I will speak French to you until you reply me in French. Oh, you see, I will not stop pursuing you until I will hold you accountable till you stop visiting those sites. You see, I will never, I will not press the pedal on your matter until you stop talking the way you talk. Never. That is how this new family works. You see, you put on clothes. You see, put on clothes also mean clothes. When you're a dead man or when a, a madman is on the streets, it's fine. If he wears rags, if he wears nickel, he can't do anything like his hair can be on cold, blah, blah, blah. So he becomes a new man. He says, why am I dressed like this? What am I wearing? And then he goes on and shaves his head and shaves everything and then gives him new clothes to wear. It's a new life. You need a new identity. You need a new way of living. And lastly, Paul speaks of barriers, certain barriers in verse 11. He says, here there is no Gentile or Jew. He says, here there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, when he speaks of Gentile or Jew, there is no racial barrier in this new family. There is no religious barrier in this family. There is no cultural barrier, barbarian or Scythian, you know, someone is more sophisticated than other. No, no, no. You see, you don't hype yourself because you're more sophisticated than your brother. Because you went to an Ivy League school, you schooled in your broad place, and your brother went to, you know, just Unilag. You see, you don't look down on your brother. <laughs> barbarian or Scythian. There is no slave or free. That means there is no social barrier. Like, it's not about how employed you, how much you earn, and how less I earn. That is no, this is, the community is not based on all of this. He say, this is it. That Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Our primary, our fundamental, it's the way we relate to one another as brothers and sisters. It is because we have all put on this new life. It is because we are all looking forward to the glory that will be ours when Christ appears. This is how you are the time. You look at it. If you don't treat BA, you don't treat Toki, because you look at them and say, this is someone who is going to be as glorious as what I cannot describe. This is someone who has a new life, a new life that God is looking for. You, you dare not treat them because of something that is earthly. You look at them with their above eyes. Christ is all and in all. And that leads me to the final point. What is the source? The source of this new family in Christ. What is it? You see, in verse 3, we see what it says. Verse 3 and in verse 3, or let's go to verse 11. You see, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all and is in all. As I describe it, is that we are not identified by 
what is earthly, by the things around us, by the things in this world that will not last into eternity, by the things in this world that will be left when we turn into glory. That is not how we identify it. We are identified by Christ. That is our fundamental. That is our major identity. And how is that so? You see, it is because of a, 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 a doctrine known as union with Christ. That you just call union in Christ. Is what does this mean? If I'm figurative, I would say it is how guys will feel. You know, after they go to watch, and this is not a competitive, but this is the closest I can come up with. It is how guys will feel after they go to watch a football match. You know, and they return. You know, and their club won. And they say, "Hey, guy, I found out. Hey, we flogged them. We flogged them. We finished them. Who is we? Chelsea beats us now. It is not we, but they so identify." With this club that they, they feel like their identity is so tied with and they, they, they start addressing it as we, as we. You see, yeah, Paul is saying that, you see, we are so united with Christ. We are so united with Christ. We are so injured with Christ. We are so close to Christ that Christ, in fact, in verse 3, you see, verse 4, you see, when Christ, who is your life? You see, you, you died with Christ. You rose up with Christ. You are seated with Christ. You see, in fact, what Christ is, that is what you are. You see, what Christ has done for you, you see, you, you did it with Christ. You are one with Christ. But how did Christ do this? How did he, how did he, how did he do this? How did he make this effectual? So I want us to look at this text. Very, very significant. We're talking about this new family. In Acts... 26 verse 23. You know, just following from this, where Christ is, is above, is seated at the right hand of God. You see what was written there. He said that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim both to our people and the Gentiles the lights of God. He said, for those who he foreknew, he predestined and he will glorify to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. How did this new family emerge? It is because Christ the firstborn. The firstborn is one who is seated on the right throne of Father. He's the firstborn in, in the culture of the Israelites. is one who inherits what the king, what the father has. He said, Christ wasn't just a firstborn by mouth. It wasn't just inspiring us. He, said, he laid down his life. He said, by suffering death, he became the firstborn. So that we all can become brothers and sisters that follow up with him in having this life. In this very Colossians 1 verse 8, he says, He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is the firstborn of this family. That is the only way. The firstborn laid down his life in his death so that you can be with him in his death. He rose up when you are with him. And then he's seated at the right hand of God, proving that our glory is setting. Because we have the true firstborn, the true brother. This is the vision for the new family. May God help us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.